Welcome to the first episode of the Space Bar podcast. Uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking about some stories from the world of e-commerce, including Black Friday, tech partners getting investment, TikTok and Shopify's partnership deal, Big Commerce's latest update with their checkout. And we're also going to talk to you a little bit more about why we started this Space Bar podcast. Uh, before we get into the content of the podcast itself, I just thought I'd ask my guests to introduce themselves. So, um, Pete, would you like to start? Oh, Tom, even. <laughs> <laughs> Great start. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm Innovation Director at Space48. Uh, hi, I'm Pete. I'm a Digital Commerce Consultant at Space48. Thanks, guys. Um, first episode, pilot episode. So, uh, you know, we'll uh, see, how, see how this one goes. It might not make it past this first episode, but hopefully it will. Um, so we've uh, we've picked out stories between us um what's going on in the world of e-commerce and and what we're seeing at the moment with some of our clients hopefully it's going to prove useful for those people who are working on e-commerce teams in agencies or even in tech partners themselves um so the first one is is black friday um black friday is is upon us um a very different year this year just in general in the in the world of e-commerce and and the world in general um, probably the biggest change in in consumer behaviour that's probably happened in a, in a quite a long time, um, if not in you know in in the history that I can I remember anyway. Um, what are the main kind of changes that you're seeing with the Pete, uh, Pete with the clients that you're working with? What are the main changes that you've seen this year um, in terms of how they've approached it? Um, any kind of systematic changes that would ordinarily have been fixed? Um, you know, is there is there any differences in approaches this year that you've picked up on that you think are interesting? Um, obviously, most of the clients are starting it early. Like most of them have got fed up with doing it over actually a weekend because the logistics of actually getting a sale out in one day and doing the actual getting the fulfillment done is is crazy trying to do it. So again, most people have been starting it a week early. Um, I think what I have seen is that from, from speaking to our retailers actually. Although they're doing it as a, a week-long event or, you know, over sort of 10 days, most of their customers are actually waiting until actually the Black Friday to they wait for the kind of the real deals as such to kind of come in. I feel like a, a guy off um, bargain hunt, but the real deals in terms of like what's actually going to happen. And um, we've had a few, I've seen a few merchants this week. They've had a phone call from customers saying, if I buy this now, am I going to get it cheaper on Friday? You know, should I wait? And um, again, one of our other clients has, has sort of seen a similar thing. And we've seen people, you know, adding to basket and, not getting not actually going to the checkout right there because they believe that um you know some of the greatest to come but in terms of the approach um i've seen some merchants haven't even bothered this year i think it's it's weird obviously these are um i think a lot of people kind of getting a bit not fed up with it as such but running off sales throughout the year anyway and i think obviously they've seen huge um sales going on through the year anyway because of the pandemic um i'm sure if we talk about covid also we're going to talk about it at some point but I think I have seen that um, there's been a lot of discounting going on. Trade's been good anyway for them. So they're feeling like, well, why do we need to go and do a lot of discounting anyway when we know when I'm going to get the trade or have had the trade? Um, so, yeah, I think it's been mixed. But, again, definitely definitely um, branching out over a longer period is, is something I've seen. Um, yeah, I think one thing I've learned this week is around the wording of promotions and how clients need to be careful of that. Um, one of our clients in particular was uh, had a – the, obviously black friday was running all week but that promotion message was like save 30 percent on black friday or this black friday it was like well the sales on now so is the sale on now is that we're almost getting 30 percent on black friday 
Ah, uh, so it's like clarity of the marketing message with it being a, more of an event than Black Friday as a singular day kind of thing. Yeah, it feels like they haven't, you know, changed. Obviously, they wanted a week-long event, whereas before they might have done Black Friday and Cyber Monday, but they're kind of using that kind of old message and haven't quite thought that through. Um, I think it seems like a lot more planning has gone into it this year, to be honest with you. It doesn't seem to be like a last-minute rush um, we sometimes see with our merchants. But um, other than that, I think it's kind of been like business as usual of what you kind of expect. Yeah, and, and obviously the um, the the market trend is that this thing's been around for a while. And if anything, you know, things like Amazon Prime, you know, where they where they do the Prime Day and like Singles Day over over in kind of um, Asia Pacific region, region, you've got an area of people now who are actually trained to find these deals at different times of the year, but also retailers trying to tra- train their customer base. So then they're not trying to trade in a 24-hour window or like a singular window. Because um, from a technology perspective, Tom, that's literally like the worst case scenario, isn't it? Try to get all of your customers to your website in 24 hours or even in like a six-hour window. That's just like not great practice, is it? Exactly. Um, and you end up kind of um, to, to be able to cope with that kind of scenario. Um, it gets very expensive and all the planning you need to need to do and all the organization from a technical architecture just to cope with that one day, whereas the rest of the year you, you will reach nowhere close to it. Um, it's just kind of a waste of everyone's resources. And it's, um, as Pete said, it's stressful for everyone involved. Um, so typically when you're set, setting up campaigns all, all of the rest of the year, you'd want them to sort of drip feed people um, those emails. Um, so trying to get people to your site all in one day, um, it's just a little bit of a nightmare. And yeah, I'd echo what, what Pete said. I've seen seen the same people spreading out um you know the, the sale period starts sometime in november goes all the way through till till january now depending on on the brand um to, to try and combat um combat that what are the main challenges that that we've seen um just just with our client base because i can tell you because i've i've been working on a couple this week um you know obviously uh, tech stack it infrastructure server infrastructure you know, some of the challenges that are maybe underlying and then you start to drive ridiculous, you know, 5x traffic than what you would usually get, um, do actually start to see some creaks with some of the platforms that we're working with. Um, I'm seeing that more on the Magento clients than we are on the SaaS clients. I think that the, generally the SaaS clients, are because of the server infrastructure that, that you get with something like BigCommerce or Shopify, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that less with the clients that I'm working with anyway. And it's more on on the Magento side clients that are that are having performance issues during that period of time. Um, if they've not um, scoped out and and kind of got their um, tech stack in, in in good order prior to this, in terms of you know whether that's load balancing or caching systems or you know just straight up server infrastructure. Um, what are those kind of challenges from a technical standpoint for, that we've seen with you know with our clients? Um, yeah, I'd agree with you. Um, it's certainly going to be on the Magento side. On the SaaS side, you've got you know millions of pounds uh, or dollars worth of investment um, in the same core code base um, from you know if we're looking at Shopify and big commerce and also it's well tested like lots of different merchants are using the same code base so you can be pretty confident and they can be uh, pretty confident that it's going to work um, whereas Magento there's just a lot more that, that can change um, you know there are lots of different setups lots of different hosting environments uh, lots of variables that uh, make it very difficult to, to, to test um, 
you know, Magento is great from the ecosystem of um, code that, uh, that is available out there from the third party um, modules and extensions on the marketplace. Um, but again, that increases the number of variables and number of permutations of, <laughs> of those that can be put together. When you increase the traffic um, on, on a week such as this, um, all the sort of the things that might have just been little niggles the rest of the year round, or you might not even noticed, um, kind of really come out, particularly around, you know, at the same time that, you know, like you say, everyone's trying to update their marketing campaigns, um, you know, the same day or the day before. And, and in the Magento instance, like flushing cash, re-indexing, all those sort of things um, that put further load on the, on the system, all those sort of um, optimizations that would typically be in place. Um Kind of get made redundant so it's kind of like a perfect storm um and i'm going to go back to my first point of the from the hosting point of view the hosting is is kind of configured for you know what what do you need typically all year round um and if you're growing year on year and you don't quite know what you're going to get um you could end up with a, a black friday week where you know it's been a wonderful success but you just you have reached the limit and so we have found that on some of our customers they, they just it's fantastic they, they do just keep on growing um, um and that can put um um, uh, um, yeah, it can make it difficult. I think when we're looking at how this year's changed, uh, you know, the, the change that's happened this year with the pandemic, um, you know, significant amounts of people purchasing online, unnecessary kind of unnecessary purchases or peak times that wouldn't necessarily have happened, you know, previously. And also um, the fact that people are, you know, brands are less omnichannel, they're kind of singular channel just online, you know, during during periods of lockdown and and restrictions of, of going into retail and, and shops even being open, which is, you know, uh, the most used word this year is unprecedented, um, apart from your mic's not on. Um, you know, they're, they're the kind of two key ones. But I think... I think what it does as well, though, I think it shines a light on the industry and it kind of says, well, well, actually, you know, should this change in the future? And, and you know, I, I think that um, I, I wanted to put a question to you, Pete, that, you know, what do you see the future of, of you know, putting putting the pandemic to one side, hopefully by next year and, and hopefully, you know, globally we'll be in a much better position than we are to this year. Um, what do you think the changes will be next year? Do you, do you think it's sustainable to carry on like this, or do you think we need to change aspects of it as an you know as an industry as a whole? I, th- I think it's got to the point now where it's going to be really difficult to reverse. I think it's become Black Friday's become kind of new Boxing Day sale. Um, you no, know, for us as a retailer, when I used to be client side, when a retail Boxing Day was always uh, Boxing Day, and kind of um, the end of the January sale were our biggest periods. Now it's like Black Friday's taken that over. And now a lot of merchants now have to prepare for kind of two sales. It's like Black Friday and um, uh, and Boxing Day are kind of they're very close together. And it, it doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. I can't see the date ever shifting, but whether or not retailers will start um, uh, maybe again honing in on what they're actually going to offer. Um, I just can't see um, how it's, unless retailers come together collectively to agree they're not going to do this going forward. I can't see how it's going to get a change. Um, it's just become a staple now, of our, I think, of the industry. Whether or not um, it'll get to the point where customers start getting fed up of it because they're not actually really seeing proper deals. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've been looking around this week and can't genuinely find anything that's personally that I think is worth investing in in terms of I know it's been cheaper at some other point during the year. And again, coming from an ex-retailer, I know that we used to either buy product in specifically for Black Friday, which you could argue the quality wasn't maybe as good as it should have been or, you know, product that was there specifically to discount or, you know, the whole thing of inflating prices earlier in the year, so to discount it. Whether or not customers are going to get fed up of it and maybe revolt a little bit. Um, 
and go back to those proper genuine sales that we saw like generally get around Christmas and and, and, and January. So I think it's going to be tough to reverse it, but it might have to be driven more by the actual consumers rather than the retailers themselves. And the retailers just react to what the consumer demands are. Yeah, because there's that report out at the moment with about uh, from which, which is basically comparing uh, Black Friday prices for for online retailers versus you know earlier points in the year, whether that's summer sale or whatever. So you're not actually get you know from a consumer perspective. I agree with what you're saying, Pete. I can't really. Outside of the more multi-channel retailers, like I, I saw a couple of things on Ted Baker where I was like, actually, I've never seen something 50% off on Ted Baker. Um, you know, they're essentially just trying to get rid of the stock that they didn't sell it in, in the stores, maybe. Um, but you've got, you know, you've got a, a level of um, kind of retail awareness now where I feel like these witch reports and what happens on things like money saving expert on the TV. And, and I think it's a little bit more visible that the offers aren't as good as they maybe used to be when black Friday was new as a concept in the market. So I suppose I'm thinking more along the lines of um, if, if we were to innovate black Friday, or if we were to take the concept of adding value to a customer, because that's essentially what it is. And it? it's, it's, it's adding value in a period of time when people are purchasing, uh, you know, at a great level, is it is it that we need to flip it on its head and maybe you know offer um, more rewards over a twelve month period if you signed up to more of a subscription service? You know, like Prime is with uh, Amazon, or you know, what other ways are there to look at this in you know to try and take it away from the um, I'm not going to say facade, but the the kind of cloak that's over the top of this that makes it seem like more value than what it actually is to a consumer. Um, I'm going to go to our innovation director for that one. <laughs> oh, goody. I, th- I think it will have to in the long run. I'm sure um, there'll be uh, different levels of merchants. Some merchants will be slower too, um, but all of them are looking to make it more sustainable. Um, like you say, it's still you know relatively new Black Friday to us. That's why people don't know where, when it is because it's an American tradition. Um, uh, grateful for my American wife teaching me all about it. Um, so I always know when it's coming because uh, I get a Thanksgiving dinner. Um, but um, for for many, it's 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 still something that is relatively new. Um, so I feel like it's not as um, in, ingrained in our culture. Um, obviously, we're still um, learning a lot from the US, and it's hard to get get away from. Um, but I'd say that. Um, Customers, if if they are, and I'm seeing the same thing as Pete's described, that the sales aren't as as good, or they recognise that that you know that particular Friday might not actually be the best day. Um, it's more about being a customer longer term, and if we can find ways of rewarding that, whether that be through loyalty, whether it be through delivery um, membership, or whether it be, um, um, or, or recognising that it just that that's not when you're going to get the best day. Um, I think it's going to be a gradual thing. I think, you know, everyone always wants a deal. And like you say, it's the right time of the year. Boxing Day is uh, is a rubbish time. And the World New Year sales are a rubbish time for a sale. Um, whereas the Prime Day uh, and Black Friday are, are great for uh, leading up to Christmas. So I feel like there's there's it's it's just pr- practically a better day for a sale. So I think it's it's going to um, stay around for a long while. But I think the the deep discounting, as we were learning it in the first first years and seeing, oh, like you actually can get a really good deal uh, in the US on Black Friday. That's when you're meant to do all the really good deals. Um, we've now learning that, that there's not much benefit to that because if the customers don't stick around, yeah, it's it's not worth it to the business. Um, so um, yeah, I don't have a, a bright new technology or anything to to recommend, but um, but no, I, I do I do see it. Uh, it's not like a continual um, kind of burn into the ground. Uh, keep um, discounting uh, for the for the years to come. 
Right, okay. So um, the next topic that we wanted to discuss on on the podcast was um, about our tech partners, Pete. So um, we've got a, a bit of kind of updates with a couple of our tech partners and things that are going on with the, with some of those. Do you want to give us a quick intro into that? Sure, yeah. Um, it's just something I've noticed quite a lot over the last sort of six months, really, um, is the, the amount of our tech partners and by tech partners we're talking about um, you know, third parties we work with, whether it be like a personalization tool or search or whatever, um, even the e-commerce platforms, um, they seem to be attracting an awful lot of investment um, from third parties trying to try and grow the business. So like recently we've seen at like Clavio, um, the email service provider, they've just raised over $200 million in a Series C funding. Uh, Amarsis got acquired uh, a few months ago, I think it was now, by SAP. Uh, massive, massive investment. Obviously, that's always more of a sort of a, a merger and an acquisition than it is investment, but ultimately, still for a mass, it's like a player like slapping the market coming after them and, and the amount of cash that these guys have got. You know, that can only mean positive things, really, you think, for the product. Uh, and then, obviously, big commerce, this uh, only again a couple of months ago, you know, doing the IPO, raising even more cash. So it's like, I think to myself, like, what does this mean for, uh, I guess, e commerce and, I guess, merchants who are making, kind of making use of these platforms and, other thing was like who's next like who's the next kind of player in that market from a, a platform perspective that's going to maybe raise some cash from investment and again what does that kind of mean to the merchants tom i'll um i'll, I'll defer to you on this one in terms of the the technology side of things yeah, uh, I think I, Pete and I, you've, uh, we've had this conversation before in terms of it's like the, the endless cycle of um, uh, email marketing platforms as they sort of uh, new kids on the block. Um, they grow. There's obviously an, um, a lot of value that they bring and they seem to sort of get bigger and bigger until they until they get acquired by um, kind of one of the uh, heritage uh, technology um, firms. Um, so I, I can see this cycle continuing. I, I probably share, I, I kind of gathering that you've kind of got concerns, Pete, in terms of what does this bring to merchants? Because it's hard... You know, the um, getting in funding is kind of lauded in the industry as a success, um, but it's, you know, it's only successful, it's only useful, it's only worth it if you actually do something with it. And it's hard, you know, there's a lot of exciting technology um, developments going on, but I would also fear that it's just kind of, you know, because they've now got funding that they've got to spend it as quickly as possible. Um, and it's easy to lose track of what's valuable to a merchant. Um, you know, these product teams are uh, working far removed. So as, as long as, you know, you know, they're doing their product research, they're doing um, uh, kind of, I would say, user testing, but yeah, user research. I know that uh, BigCommerce um, uh, are doing. Uh, so when, you know, any new feature that they build, they're, they're talking to agencies, they're talking to merchants and understanding what are about what are the real needs because they might have an impression of them, uh, um, but they're not working with them every day. And so I think that's what I would hope out of any of the investment. Um, obviously, they've got to pay that back at some point. Um, I hope that they can do that in, in a manner that uh, brings real value to, to their customers at the end of the day. Is the worry, Pete, that it, the people who have essentially built the innovation and built the products, you know, that, that has actually got the the brand to this point, um, then, you know, with investment may becomes like a manage like a executive management team or maybe like inserts into the business where you get people trying to influence the product and how the product works and um you know maybe trying to because because if there's an investor involved rather than the, the the founder or the co-founder or whatever it might be um is is there a worry that um those those products are then look to be monetized in a in a diff, in a more aggressive way maybe and it's less about the features and functionality and more about how the re, how i can get in five years my, like tom just said 
how can how can this investment group or this this new business that's that's bought out this other business how can i get a return on my investment within five years and move on to the next tech startup is that the is that the fear um yeah i mean i'd like to think that most of this investment is going to go towards r&d and the product and you know pushing it forward um and and that's where my hope is and you know merchants do benefit from that and you know they start to see greater products and it makes the market a bit more competitive and you know innovative i guess that's what i'm really hoping for but i think the one concern is um i'm going to talk about the elephant in the room of like again this is a couple of years ago now but the adobe acquisition of magento um i think that's probably a prime example of where maybe focus shifts a little bit in terms of like for Magento, for example, the, the focus around the client clients or merchants, they they you know typically will go after now. I know um, there's still still a focus on the mid market. They they saying, but I think we've seen that happen. Um, okay, go, Adobe is maybe an extreme the, the conglomerate that they are, but I think again we start to see a few product innovations come out. At least you know Magento merchants benefiting from some of the Adobe products like Sensei, for example. And I'm sure that will continue. But that's for me taking like that platform to a different level now to that who they're kind of targeting. I guess my worry is that um, it's a concern that that may happen and that they may some some technology that's been really great for some merchants then start to start to price themselves out. Um, but then maybe that opens doors for other 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 um, you know, technology partners to come in or you know startups to come in. There's a lot of great and Tom will, will back me on this and yourself as well, Paul. There's a lot of great new tech that I I come across. Um, I get introduced to new like tech partners all the time, like new, new, new products that are coming out. So maybe there's room for everybody. Maybe the investment actually, yeah, it's great for the, for the uh, tech partner that gets it, but also maybe it does create opportunity and, and gaps in the market for, for other people to come in and maybe it just, you know, challenges other tech partners and other, other, um, you know, innovators to come up with ideas and, and push their products forward. So maybe that is the benefit that it can ultimately have. Yeah, I think I obviously, agree I, I was just going to say um, the, the the fear the the fear is there that you know that the the effect is that this just basically goes into like a sales team or in you know improves how how good the return on investment might be but like you said i think generally speaking i think if someone's investing into or if a, if a brand if you're investing into a product i think it's slightly different when it's more of like a third party extension versus the actual platform itself so the investment that went into something like magento i think it's built on the same principles however i think the approach and also the long-term objective is slightly different because ultimately, you know, um, some of some of the third parties that you've just discussed in terms of the extensions um, versus uh, BC going out to IPO or, or Magento being purchased, it's, it's different scales, isn't it? Because um, the 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 number of users or the number of like actual clients for for Magento itself versus you know some of the other tools that are getting investment. Maybe that's slightly different, and maybe it's easier to manage that product development if you're a little bit more of an agile business to begin with. Because if you're like ten devs out of Argentina or you know wherever wherever the the, the kind of startups uh, are coming from uh, that you're talking to, and and the products when they get out to the market and up to the level where we're working with them, you know, is it is it the the point that from us from an agency perspective and from a client perspective? almost like um, football club owners. Does it actually matter who, who owns the football club or do you just want to watch your team on a, on a Saturday? You know, it's, it's kind of like, a, what, what, is, what is the trickle-down impact to an actual client for something like this? And I suppose we are hoping that it's to make it better. It's to make the thing that we love or the thing that we've integrated into, you know, into clients and got good results. It's to make it better, isn't it? And I'm sure there are a couple of examples of that, um, I think the thing that interests me the most, though, is 
when the partners start, you know, the third, more the third parties and extensions, I'm not going to name names, um, but when they start to tread on the other partner's toes, but it's not their core. So they start to, maybe they're a search provider and they go into some other areas or whatever. Um, I feel like investors would push that as well because they might see somebody who's doing really well in reviews or whatever. If you start out in one area, maybe extending into other areas. And do, are you guys seeing much of that? Because I've seen a little bit of it, but I'm a little bit uh, further detached from the product than you guys are. Go to that, Tom. Sure. Um, yeah, I guess I, I won't name names, but I, I've certainly um, seen seen that as well. I think it's it's, it's natural. Um, you know, like you say, if you're a search tool or if you're a personalization tool, you might kind of get as far as you can get. And if you've got um, uh, investment and that you're looking for more growth by um, the end of the end of the year, um, you're going to look to diversify, see the opportunity to kind of repurpose the technology that you already have, the t- teams that you already have, um, and reapply it. Um, uh, and you know that that can be a benefit to the, the merchant. It's not to say that's um, you know not a not a not a good thing. Um, in general, you probably want to have the fewest providers as as, as possible. Um, you won't have to worry about the coordination between all of them, or um, both on, on an organisational and communication level, as well as the, the technology platform level. So if I can have you know um, you know a Shopify store with with five providers um, rather than ten providers, then I, I, I would I would go for five. Um, so so I think it, it can be a good thing um but uh, yeah i think it's it's interesting from a partner perspective because there's there's a real um partner ecosystem which i'm sure pete can um talk more about it everyone knows everyone um and so yeah that it can um, i'd be interested to see how uh, those catch-up calls go once uh, there's there's more of that going on yeah it's interesting because <clears throat> we were i was talking to a couple of partners today um actually picking up an idea you tom mentioned about um doing like a tech partner secret santa this year and uh i was like yeah, I'm pretty sure that some of the partners probably aren't going to want to be gifting others, and especially in the same, especially as they start getting, they're just starting to become a lot closer now in terms of what's going on. Which I, I think is probably a good thing. I think you know, again, the challenging each other, it's kind of like one-upmanship, I suppose, a little bit. The one thing that does concern me is um, some like technology partners trying to get into all the areas where they're not, it's not their core, and they become a bit of jack of all trades. I think there's there's a couple of partners in particular I can think of that are very, very good. At what they've done historically and as they're starting to branch into other areas it's kind of like they're dipping the toe in the water it's maybe not quite and not giving the an experience that the merchant or the retailer actually needs uh, i think it just needs to be maybe thought through a little bit more and rather than rushing things to market it probably needs a bit more time in, in r and d and 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 sort of testing from what i've seen so far but you know all credit to the to the partners for reaching out for trying to actually you know innovate and, and develop the products um I mean, I can only see this kind of investment kind of going on. I think investors know the tech space is where it's at. You know, I'm not going to say the high street's dead, but like technology and e-commerce is where it's at. And, and I think any investors now that are looking to make some money back is definitely going to be in the tech space. It's got to be. Um, I know there's some big deals potentially on the, on the horizon with a few of the um, other um, uh, social media platforms that are out there at the moment, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, but I just think, given what's going on now, I think we're just going to see more and more of this. I think it's just going to maybe even bring investments forward that have maybe been planned for maybe two, three years down the line. I think now is the time. It's it's a great a great time to kind of strike while the iron's hot, I suppose. Um, well, not so well. Things are going cheap, but while it's uh, before it starts really, really taking off in the next kind of couple of years. Just moving on to the the third topic, then. Um, this was this was brought to my attention. I wasn't actually aware of this until you mentioned it, Pete, around um, the partnership between 
Spotify and Shopify. Jo- Spotify. It's got Spotify here. Um, Shopify um, and TikTok. When you're looking at um, when you're looking at the partnerships and the the platforms that we're working with, I suppose when we're working with Shopify and their integration into other channels and then open up marketing opportunities with um, with other platforms, TikTok being the latest. Um, how do you see this one going? It's interesting. For me, like I'm probably one of the few people in the world actually that don't use TikTok. Like I've never installed it on my phone. Um, my wife's on it constantly. Um, I'm not going to give her age away, but she's she's not a, she's not a Gen Z and she's just about a millennial. Um, and it's interesting. Um, from, just to give some background as to what's gone on with the with the deal or what's what the partnership. Um, so basically, Shopify have made it now that so merchants who are Shopify merchants will be able to manage all the TikTok marketing through um, marketing coming through Shopify. They have an interface, a bit like you can do with Facebook and Google Ads, etc. Um, but it's enabling the merchants now to uh, turn their products into like, in feed videos. Again, I don't really use TikTok, so um, I'm sort of taking this at high level in terms of what, what I've seen my wife use it for and whatever. Um, but from what I understand. Um, it's, you can be very highly targeted ads by gender, age, user behavior, et cetera, even down to like category of video. So they've been trialing um, Shopify shopping buttons as well. So within the actual video content, there's actually Shopify buy buttons in there. So you can actually either take people direct to the Shopify store or buy it within TikTok through the Shopify checkout, which I think is, you know, great innovation. But I guess... Which is the first time that's happened, isn't it? Outside of the TikTok ads platform. There's no other... I, I believe, from what from what I've read about it, anyway, what I know about it, the, there aren't any other kind of integrations of this nature where you can go straight to an e-commerce or kind of include commerce into it apart from the TikTok ads, you know, themselves. Yeah, I mean, Instagram, obviously, you've done this a little bit with the Shopify Instagram content. You know, you can set up a store on there and you can check out via Instagram now. But yeah, in terms of that kind of integration, then, then no. Um, but I think it, it looks like, I mean, this has been, I think, been tested at the moment, but it looks like it's definitely coming where directly you're able to buy um, through the TikTok app. I think that's going to be really interesting. And I think Shopify, have again, have spotted a, a really good opportunity there. Um, again, looking at where the market is at the moment, and again, I think, again, I might, I don't want to generalize too much here, but again, if you think about the users, I would say of tech, TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Um, again, I'm not a user of it. I'm not probably in that demographic, but I'd imagine that I might be generalizing. But most of the users of TikTok are probably going to be, um, you know, generate Gen Zs potentially. You know, uh, into the fashion. You know, I'd say typical kind of like Boohoo customer or a misguided customer. Again, I'm completely generalizing here, just speculating. But um, my wife's obviously not in that, that demographic, but she's into fashion. And I imagine I think to myself, what what brands are we going to take take advantage of this? Like, who's going to be kind of jumping all over this? And I, the only thing I could come to was again fashion brands, but I may be wrong. I don't know if you guys are any aware of the brands that are doing doing much on tiktok at all i think a lot of the content that i've seen on there because I, I will confess i have spent time on tiktok um earlier on when lockdown started back in march um i was doing a lot of uh, i've got a three-year-old daughter um sorry four-year-old daughter now and she's um yeah she she was like oh look at this and i was like oh yeah look it's a dance so yeah, I had to do some dances for for TikTok. So I'll save those videos and I'll put them out as part of this podcast. No, I won't. Um, but yeah, the um, the the premise being that the the content that I've seen on there and the way that brands have approached it, it's really it's like a subtle sell. You know, they, they've got their influencers, they've got the people who are like the brand ambassadors or whatever. 
you know, they feature the product in there. But it's actually, I think it's more entertainment based. It, it reminds me, it's more like um, you've been framed than than like a YouTube ad. You know, like where it's a little bit more staged. I feel like it's more product placement in the background or what an influencer's wearing for that particular dance or whatever because there's loads of like these dance challenges and different challenges that people do. And even like um like I follow the guy from F2 F2 freestyle, you know the football uh, freestyle guys. Um I think it's F2. Um not sure. Tom's shaking his head. Um yeah, the the the, co- the content that those guys are putting out is mainly focused around, obviously they're doing like sports content, so they might do like a post for Adidas, but actually it's like a challenge video. So I think what would happen is it's more, I, I think what would work from a, more from a brand perspective is like competitions, challenges. Those are the things that will actually get the users engaged because I think the worst thing that a brand could do is approach TikTok like a Google search listing uh, page and trying to act like it's a PPC ad. Um, you know, it's definitely not. It needs to be that it's a community that's creating content rather than a brand that's creating content and dropping it into a community like what happens on Instagram and, and, and Facebook as you scroll through your feed. So I think the approach towards it needs to be completely different. I think what this does for a lot of brands, though, um, and again, um, to integrate into TikTok or as it was previously, you know, it, for, for brands when they were looking at setting up like a shoppable Instagram feed. I mean, the dev time that's required to do that on most platforms outside of, you know, you generally using a third party extension, whatever it might be. I think the best thing about Shopify from 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 their own perspective is that they've managed to strike this deal and they've managed to set this up as a, it's set up as a channel, isn't it? So it's set up like you would with an Instagram channel. Yeah or Amazon or a marketplace, you know, you can just literally plug it in and then set it up. I think you're absolutely right. I think this suits that kind of more agile brand that is reacting to market trends and being a little, you know, a little bit cooler. It might be tech. It, I think tech sports, um, you know, even like <clears throat> esports brands and and things like PlayStation 5 or whatever, um, as well as your your traditional um, you know association to social media and e commerce, which is retail and fast fashion. So I think anybody that's got a strong community in in that particular platform, um, and who who is already working with some influencers in that space, um, because I think similar to to me trialing TikTok as a dad doing dances on it, I think that that is basically the equivalent of a brand going on there and trying to be cool. Um, it just doesn't work. So we, I think I would advise people to to definitely trial it if it's right. But I, I don't think it's worth. It's like anything, you know. You wouldn't just say plug your Shopify store into TikTok and now start running TikTok ads because that's relevant. You know, if it's not relevant to your audience, you shouldn't do it. So um, that's my two pennies worth. And uh, you know, I've I've given far too much away about my personal life already on this podcast. So um, yeah, I think I think the. The from a merchant's perspective, I think the advertising platform is is quite interesting because that is being massively invested in now. If you read any, you know, like we were talking about investment earlier into tech partners, the the way behind, you know, when it comes to the ad platform, uh, TikTok, from from my experience and what I've used, they've they've pretty much tried to mirror the uh, Facebook Business Manager, um, you know, ad platform because it's so powerful and it's so you know it's so good. Um, I think the challenge that 
the average brand would have if you're not already on there is that barrier to entry because the level of content creation that you need to create is is you know it's quite high in terms of um their frequency to build the community and then you know these guys are like posting something like 30 like i think there was one brand uh, sorry one uh the most followed people are posting like 20 to 30 times a day um during lockdown so i think that might have calmed down as lockdown restrictions have come down but um you know a lot of these a lot of these kind of brands and celebrities and stuff it's best to just put the put your brand in their hands if that makes sense rather than try to um to try to make your mark on it um i'd be interesting you know from a from a technology perspective when we're looking at um how all the channels plug in and also when you're looking at um these third party social media channels what what would prevent someone from building that from scratch you know just say they're not on shopify um just say you're on big commerce or if you're on magento and you actually wanted to to do something similar to this this would be like a huge project wouldn't it Certainly, um, and I imagine with with TikTok this, uh, and the Shopify deal, I imagine that it's probably not available to others as part of um, exclusivity, and, and those APIs just aren't aren't available. Um, you know, with with other other platforms, whether or not you're looking at like Facebook ads or, or Google Shopping, then yeah, I, I certainly know from kind of yeah my my the last decade that I spent in e-commerce, you've spent an awful lot of time um, building that out or integrating a third party tool, configuring it. Um, so yeah, real kind of kudos to, to Shopify for kind of getting in there. It certainly seems like this still suits suits their brand, suits the the, the customers and merchants that are, that are using it. Um, I have to say, I probably learned an awful lot um, or, or everything I know about TikTok I've learned in the last ten minutes. So thank, thanks thanks an awful lot. Um, but yes, in terms of development effort, yeah, this this makes it um, approachable for for those brands. Otherwise, I'm, I'm sure that they just wouldn't it wouldn't be an option for them. Um, but yeah, very interesting to to learn how it sort. Of, it sounds like it's the continuation of the influ- influencer model. Um, so yeah, that sounds sounds good. It's interesting. Point you mentioned about how the ad platforms probably not know where it needs to be. Are we thinking we're going to see um, TikTok ads provided by Bing soon with the inherent Microsoft deal that's supposed to be going on? Yeah, well, I would, I would imagine. Again, I think um, the the only person who's who's not cooler than me, Bill Gates, stepping into the world of TikTok. I mean, um, yeah, I think I, I can see. Again, it's a similar challenge to to what we were talking about earlier. When you know, what has made the product brilliant is the fact that they've given a community a platform to to integrate music and pop culture and. TV and you know and and, and competitions and, and all those things. Um, I think as soon as um, you start to bring in the the bigger players, uh, you know, like we're saying about Microsoft and and whether that actually happens or not, I'm not sure. But um, they can't even get the Bing ad platform right, in my opinion. So I think pushing it into a into a more interactive space that is less flat because I, I feel very much like a. A search engine results page is 2D and 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 TikTok's like 5D. So it's like, um, yeah, the the I think they'll do a good job to to upgrade it. But I think that's the biggest area. If they're going to learn anything from Instagram and, and Facebook, it's if you can get a great ad platform, you can get the brands involved. You know, your, your communities are going to continue to grow. So, um, I think I think three middle aged men talking about TikTok has gone on for far too long. Content out of it, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was supposed to be the smallest segment, and I've just gone off about uh, dance challenges. Anyway, um, so the 
the the fourth topic that we wanted to discuss um with um Tom mainly leading off on this aspect of it was around um big commerce um for those who don't know we're actually big commerce EMEA agency partner of the year um yeah I had to get that in there so what um in terms of the checkout Tom what's going on on that side of things because that's always been one of the things that you know in other platforms you can highly customize whereas in SaaS platforms is is less open um, what's the latest on what big commerce doing with the checkout? I am excited to talk about this, but I'm still reading from the fact that you don't think Bill Gates is cooler than you. I've seen videos of him literally jumping over a chair mid-interview, showing the interviewee uh, that he could jump from like a standing start over a chair, and that's 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 pretty cool. So I, I think you need to to check yourself a little bit there. <laughs> Tom, next time I see you in person, oh sorry, when I actually meet you in person for the first time, I'm yeah. going to jump over a chair. I've said it on the podcast now, so it's going to happen. Like it. Yes, uh, big commerce checkout. Uh, really cool. Um, they've got they've ended up in the position where they've almost almost got the perfect blend of checkout. Um, so with Magento, obviously you you own everything. You've got complete customizability, but then all the responsibility is is yours to to, to build it out how you how you want. Uh, with, with Shopify, um, you're fairly limited in in what you can do. Um, you can uh, particularly uh, unless you're on the Sh- uh, Shopify Plus uh, edition. And then with with BigCommerce, they had um, sort of their main hosted version is completely sort of cut off from you making any modifications. You can kind of modify the header and the footer. Other than that, it's kind of their their core um, uh, e-commerce checkout. Um, then they released their checkout SDK, which is sort of their JavaScript um, API and, uh, and library uh, to be able to build up your own checkout from scratch, which is actually the, the kind of uh, like that, and it would communicate with the BigCommerce APIs. Uh, and so then that like that opened up the um, to be completely flexible again. So you know we wouldn't have to build everything yourself in terms of the the, the comms piece, um, but you sort of from plug and play components could use that. But there's still kind of then there was a bit of a, a valley in between the two you either could do nothing you kind of get what you're given or you have to kind of build it up yourself um kind of with react and their sdk uh, whereas now they've actually open sourced um their i think they called it open checkout which is their actual checkout code um as far as i understand it um so again still built with the checkout sdk but there's just there's just more uh, built in there for you so um if you find yourself in a position where you know that uh, most of the checkout is fine, but actually, I really want to customize this bit. It's really important for me that I can um, build in the click and collect functionality in like the picker or something like that, um, and have a custom uh, user journey or customer journey through that. Um, then you can you can do that. You've got then you've got access to the code, um, and so I think that's that's kind of going to make a massive massive difference to difference to our merchants that we've worked with, um, because it has been a, a bit of a tricky decision sometimes where we're trying to avoid um, kind of needing to go to the checkout SDK. You know, we've done it, we can do it. Um, but it just it takes more time, and so there's always been that return of investment discussion of is, is this the right place to spend um, uh, our budget? And so this is this is great for for everybody. Um, I think there's one other like factor I would uh, consider as well is on the PCI front. So one of the the beauties obviously of of SaaS is that in, given that it's not your technology, uh, BigCommerce will kind of own the responsibility from a, a payment security perspective uh, because they've they've owned everything around the checkout page. Um, and so if any card details get stolen, it's their fault, uh, and you can you can uh, blame blame them. Uh, whereas if you are building the checkout yourself and you're building out the templates and you're writing and you're adding JavaScript to the page. Um, you add in the risk that you're going to be the one to contribute vulnerabilities. So you you lose the protection that they would other, otherwise have, have given. Um, 
obviously that you know if you're coming from Magento, that you know, might be something you're already used to. Um, but you know that might be one of the reasons you were moving to SaaS in the first place was to reduce that burden um, and reduce that risk. You know we've had plenty of news stories about Magecart over the last couple of years not solely um, uh, through Magento platform, um, and despite the name, but it's it's still been um, a, a pain point for many merchants. So I think that, you know, this is really great from um, you know, our perspective when we're working with merchants. Um, and uh, I think it's just, it opens up lots of opportunities for, for merchants move, moving forward. So I've, I've got a couple of questions to that. So when, when we're looking at... Um, Client requirements, and we're looking, you know, in the early stages of of, of when we're talking to clients, which we refer to as uh, discovery. Um, what what are the main things and the main considerations which would make it more palatable to work with something like Big Commerce over the other platforms? Is it is it just that level of look? You you you've got a really strong kind of out of the box checkout here. However, if your business has specific requirements, you can make certain changes. Is it that is it that it's quicker to do those things? Like, what what is the ultimate benefit outside of you can now customize it, you can now add additional features in there? It, does does it have a financial impact to the client and to the budget in terms of like is is it significant? So, um, you know, I, I've I've worked with enough Magento stores in in my time to to know that when you do start to customize it, it adds on not only initial time and and cost for the first build, but then also the support maintenance and any customization of the the version control path you know that you go through as you, as you upgrade software from you know 2.2 up to 2.3 and and beyond um is it is it a um is it a similar model to that in that you know I've got to invest in it up front and any customizations would then roll through or is it different in that it would be cheaper for me as a as a business um you know compared to the the more kind of magento model that's a good question. Um, I think the complexity that BigCommerce has built on and the BigCommerce checkout has built on is is lower than that of like Magento. So if you're if you're if you're trying to build exactly the same checkout in both platforms, particularly with um, the this open open checkout, um, I'm pretty confident that it will take less time um, in BigCommerce than it would have done in Magento. Um, so you know, so that's a win. Um, but in general, with any of these things, you know, when you're going through this discovery process. Um, and one of the reasons that we've kind of, I myself have kind of got moved more towards SaaS over, over the years is because I've got to have a good reason to do things. It can't be just because I, I, you know, I, I want to, or I, it would be nice if, um, you've got to prove that, that, you know, that the value and the return is really going to come from that feature. Um, and so, and so I think that would be the conversation that, that, that we have, um, and it's to try and get away with changing the least amount of code or customizing the least amount of code, because, uh, you know, However easy it is to is to do, at the end of the day, it's going to be maintenance. There's going to be newer versions. You know, for the most part, there's no you know upgrades that you need to do on the big commerce platform. But if you're using their checkout, there's a lot of code there that you've kind of inherited um, and then modified. And so you that may get to a point where even if it's front end, you know, templating and designs, you might get to a point where actually there's a small change to make. And so earlier this year, Shopify upgraded their checkout in preparation for their um, subscription, new subscription functionality. Um, and there was there was a very small like, um, change that needed to be made to make sure that your uh, checkout was was still compatible and that at least you had to go through that testing process. So, so yes, in general, there's um, it's cheaper, cheaper on SaaS in terms of total cost of ownership uh, and maintenance. Um, but that doesn't mean kind of you know the upgrades and maintenance completely goes goes away either. So everything you know. 
it's very easy to say everything is possible um, in, in any software project. Um, it only becomes impossible when you say yes to everything. And so you've got to work out where is the actual value coming from in, in this project and what are we confident that's going to bring us value or what's what's a risk and then, then decide which ones you're, you're, you're going to take this time around. I think that's a good answer because, you know, ultimately, you know, that... The expectations of of any you know any cost any any time you say the word custom you know you then have to maintain that customization on a kind of an ongoing basis regardless of you know regardless of which platform you're on and, and you also need to look at it but it sounds to me from what you're saying Tom that you know there's there's less um, less uh, investment in budget less investment in time less investment in testing because of the core and the base that you get to work off from a from a BC perspective versus something like a Magento however. Um, I really like what Shopify are doing with their checkout and with the subscription services. And, and Pete, just throwing it to you, what do you, what do you think this kind of more open SaaS model from BC, what do you think it means for Shopify? It's interesting. I was thinking about this today. Um, I mean, it's amazing news for e-commerce customers and everyone looking to make the move to e-commerce. Uh, it's definitely a key differentiator for them over Shopify. I think we speak to a lot of merchants who are um, looking at going to SaaS and it's either e-commerce or Shopify. Um, I think one of the things that always gets brought up about Shopify is, oh, well, the, the, the checkout's limited. I can't, I can't really structure what I can do. And I want to use my own payment gateway or whatever. And yeah, you, you can do certain amounts. And But sometimes my response back to them is, okay, well, what is you actually want to change? Like the Shopify checkout is is built and it's works and it's tested and it's used by millions of millions, well, millions, thousands and thousands of merchants around the world. So I get that some people want to change the checkout and there's going to be all these custom user journeys that people want. And I'm coming from a background of, again, where we had a very complex purchase journey. Um, there's always going to be things you want to change, but I think it, what does it mean for Shopify? Shopify, as you know, are constantly uh, working on the checkout as well. And I guess I can drop a bit of exclusive uh, news here that I know as of January next year, there's going to be further rollouts and upgrades to the Shopify checkout. Uh, what those are yet, we don't know. Um, but, I think that they're both whether Shopify will, con- will will open it up, I doubt it. But they're, what they're trying to do is cover off all the bases and trying to provide that functionality out of the box, which is why, again, earlier this year, they kind of stopped um, certain third party uh, payment providers working with them and hijacking the checkout because, you know, they've all got multi currency now. Um, they've, they've made it so that it's got, um, you can accept more currencies than ever before. So their argument is, well, why do you need to change the checkout when we've, we're building all this functionality anyway? Um, I I do think it's going to be one of those differentiators. I think I think big commerce as a whole, anyway, in terms of the open SaaS nature, was always a differentiator between you know Shopify and big commerce. I think the checkout now has probably opened that up even more. Um, but again, I would always argue the point with customers and really make them think thoroughly about what is it you need to customize here. Again, speaking from experience of being on Magento and really customizing the checkout. And the pain that, that caused us as a retailer, as a merchant, trying to um, do what grades, et cetera, later down the line. I always approach cu- checkout customizations with extreme caution. And I think Tom would probably agree is, you know, do it where it's absolutely necessary. And if you're going to do it, do the minimal changes you can possibly do. Um, again, what the commerce to do in terms of not being able to change the absolute core is great. Um, and build on top of it's fine. But again, I'm always reserved about if something works well, then if it, again, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's a lot of you know uh, thoughts to that, and I, I think that's something that um, most retailers should consider before they start going down the route of do I really need to customize this kind of thing. It's probably a legacy as well, isn't it? You know, a legacy and mentality of 
whereas SaaS is the new school way of, of thinking and and more of an old school way of thinking and like a legacy e-commerce requirement or a legacy e-commerce setup was when things were built in like custom or .NET or, you know, uh, more open cart kind of checkout, um, that open cart uh, platforms or, or whatever, you know, the, the conformity of how e-commerce has developed now, there is a, there is a lot of things that are very similar, you know, in terms of, uh, how the user experience has changed over time and what people expect in the checkout. I think ultimately um, the differences between the the three main platforms, obviously there are lots of other platforms out there, but you know, the three main platforms are they're all, they all have different positions in the market, don't they? And, and like you said, Pete, that, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Shopify, although I did call it Spotify before. Um, I, I'm a massive fan of, of what those guys have done with the products over, over time and, 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 like you, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of what what they're doing in the future and, and how this kind of subscriptions model and some of the new features that are going to bring out next year. So, I suppose they'll always have their position in the market as the kind of they're almost like the go-to e-commerce brand now, aren't they? Um, whereas it used to be other brands that they are the whether it's entry level or mid market, they're certainly they've got the scale, haven't they? Now, I think there's only WooCommerce that has more people using it as an e-commerce technology. Um, but WooCommerce is that's more for like setting up a WordPress site and, and plugging in a bit of, um, you know, something really simple. Whereas you know Shopify is definitely more, um, more serious when it comes to retail. But that that position in the market, then Tom, from a from a technology and an agency standpoint, obviously we're trying to strengthen our relationship with, um, not only our e-commerce platform providers that we work with, but the third parties that that Pete manages. How do you think this will affect like our innovation within within the agency moving forward? Do you think it'll push us to try new things rather than just go for the standard out of the box? Do you think it will push us to create new products around the checkout? Yeah, I, I think it opens up opportunities. You know, despite you know, my initial statement in terms of you know being you know, relatively reserved about the customizations that you might want to to make and everyone being um, you know, should be considered. At the same time, it does open up a lot of opportunities that were previously somewhat closed. Um, and so you know, there, there are um, other partners out there already that are building um, on top of uh, Open Checkout, so Intuit uh, Solutions based in the, in the US. Um, so they already had some some great apps to try and get around this problem. So they were um, it's kind of reading between the lines. It seemed like they were adding JavaScript to, to the hosted checkout on BigCommerce to be able to add um, pieces of functionality in there, like um, limiting payment methods based on the customer group, which for some merchants is, is incredible be valuable because it opens up a whole new channel um, of customers that they can uh, take online orders otherwise it gets very difficult so um, being able to to solve that kind of problem um, kind of almost you can kind of describe it as natively to the platform rather than trying to shoehorn it in um, is you know you can clearly see that's that's going to be of a benefit to 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 merchants and uh, tech partners alike we've we've reached the the fifth and final point of this podcast um before this we we were talking about how long do we actually need for 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 this podcast we thought we'd let it roll we're on 54 minutes right now so we're doing quite good um so finally i think the the place where where we could end is is arguably the biggest piece of e-commerce news uh, this week which is space 48 launching a podcast um no, Pete's not is um with with this obviously um this this pro this has been in conversation within the agency for a while. Tom, do you want to just talk about the thought process and and what you've been thinking about in the past of it for what this might be or what it could be in the future? 
Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, who hasn't thought about starting a podcast in the last few years? Um, certainly, yeah, it's been a conversation that, that's gone round. Um, I, I've wanted to get involved in it, certainly as, as one member. Um, and I think it, it comes out of the fact that these kind of conversations are just really interesting to have. Like we're at a size now, we're 50 people. There are so many, uh, or, or so much um, uh, diversity in terms of experience, in, in terms of opinions within the business. Uh, I actually want to have these kind of discussions, talk about these things and, and learn from others in the business, let alone um, kind of actually, you know, have the opportunity to interview people outside of it as well. So it just feels like there's, you know, as we kind of going back to the beginning, there's so much excitement, there's so much um, development going on um, in the tech and e-commerce space uh, right now. There's a lot, there's a lot to talk about. Um, and uh, there's, there's many of us in the business that get that kick, kicks out of that. So, so yeah, a lot of it for, for, for me is just having these interesting conversations. And I think that's maybe, why we've kind of got to it um this year is through what this year has been like some of those conversations have been um, by the wayside just not not been able to happen um and so in one way this is scratching our own sort of <laughs> scratching our own itch uh, as much as helping others but um i do hope it helps others as well and pete is the person who came up with the name of the spacebar podcast um you've obviously you have conversations with partners literally on a weekly basis as well as clients. So I think in terms of finger on the pulse and what's going on in the e-commerce industry, there aren't many people in our in our business that, that know more about what's going on than you. Um, what do you want to use the platform for in the future and, and what ideas have you, have you got for the podcast from, you know, from your side of things? Um, I think when we kind of first got the podcast idea, I think it was well, when it first came about thinking about it. I mean, so actually, I was I was imagine last year with Tom and Gary V was on stage and he was talking about um, like everybody should start a podcast. I was like, I love Gary V. Let's start a podcast. It sounds like a good idea. Um, and me and Tom talked about back then. I guess the time was never right. Um, but I think the, the one thing that's driven me to do this, and, and you got you come in, Paul, and having some experience experience of doing this, is back when I was e-commerce manager, there was nothing really existed out out of the market like this in terms of something I could listen to and, and kind of a snapshot of like what's going on in the e-commerce industry. Like, Oh, do you know what? That's a really great idea. And there's some great free content and free ideas because a lot of agencies or, um, or technology are quite closed. They don't want to give away the crown jewels. And, and that's really frustrating as an e-commerce manager because you really want to educate yourself and, you know, help the, the business you're working for move forward. And I felt by doing this that I think, my idea with this is that we, we try and be as open as honest as possible about what's going on out there. You know, what, what we're doing as an agency, you know, some of the tools and, you know, techniques that we're using to help clients, whether it's discovery or whatever it is. And I think I, I just want to give that knowledge back to um, the e-commerce community and e-commerce managers that specifically, I guess, this podcast is targeting at in, in my mind, um, because just because I felt I'd never had that. Um, in terms of like ideas for, to, to go in this forward and what we plan to do with it, you know, bringing in, um, I'd love to get e-commerce managers onto this and turn to about their experience. I'd love to t- talk to some of our tech partners about not here coming on doing a sales pitch, but talking about, you know, what they're seeing in their specific area, whether it's we get one of the payment providers coming in talking about, you know, the, the importance of having a great seamless checkout flow and all that kind of stuff and the impact that makes. Um, as well as getting, you know, some of our customers on that have been through um other re-platform or what's going on in their world. Um, I think there's 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 a lot we like to give back, I suppose, to the e-commerce community. I think we've got a bit of a history for doing this as well. Like, you know, we founded the Mage Titans conference, what, four or five years ago. Um, for those of you who don't know what Mage Titans is, it was a Magento conference we founded. Again, that was a developer-focused conference just aimed about giving back to the community. And I think Space for it has got quite a rich heritage in, in doing these sorts of things. And I think, to honestly, this podcast is well overdue. Um, and I think, I think hopefully we'll get 
even the feedback we get from this will be positive and I hope people will take take something out of it and even to take one thing away today like Tom's learned a lot about TikTok today which you never knew if we can educate some people about what's going on out there then uh, we've done our job properly well I think uh, from from my side you know I've, I've I'm new to the business um you know and I, I joined the business in July and and I remember having a conversation with John um uh, John the founder of Space 48 and I was kind of like I, I think it was in my first two or three weeks, I was like, Jesus, if you'd have recorded half of these conversations and put them out, they're like more interesting than most of the podcasts that I listen to or vloggers or whatever it might be. Um, and I think that the depth of knowledge is great, but also it's it's not just necessarily, I think what we want this podcast to be in the future. And I think the, the thing that we were very clear about is, yes, we want it to to give away, you know, we want to not you know give give our ideas away but you know trying to give a bit of insight as to how we approach things and and how we like to do things because uh, there's different ways of of doing things but we want to kind of show what our recipe is when we're you know when we're, when Tom's working on a, a checkout for BC for example um but i think the the critical thing for me is about that bringing the community together the e-commerce community has lots of different places but i feel like we're going to be spending a lot we have been spending a lot less time face to face so um, it's still great that people can listen to the e-commerce industry unicorn that is Tom Robertshaw. So um, I'm really happy that we got this first episode done. Um, we'll get, we'll obviously we'll we'll publish this out there, and we'll try to get e-commerce managers, partners on in the future, and everything else that we want to do. Um, but I think I think we can wrap up there, boys. Um, we've been on for an hour, so that's you know good going for. Um, a last minute thing and um, you know pushing to try and get some content out there and um, so uh, before we wrap up I just want to say thanks to Pete and Tom cheers guys cheers, Paul cheers Tom thanks a lot and it wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't end this episode by saying come and subscribe to the podcast like it and share it with people in your network this is literally the first episode so we're going to hopefully get a decent amount of traction um, we're looking to record some more episodes before the end of the year and um, we hope to see you, see you guys soon that was the Spacebar podcast thank you very much you've been listening to Spacebar a podcast brought to you by Space48 we're a UK leading CX and e-commerce platform specialist if e-commerce content's your thing then please be sure to subscribe to hear more do you like what you've heard or is there room for improvement please leave us a review and let us know what you think Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.